HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio coming to you live from the landing of the Hermine. She's a French warship built in France, sailed across the Atlantic to celebrate the 200th anniversary. Wait a minute now, more than 200 years. Had Lafayette sailed her over here to help us win our independence. And now she's sailing again to remind us to be bold in seeking many kinds of sovereignty. But it's very exciting because you don't always get to see a big 18th century warship coming into a small town. And there's thousands of people here. That's not the point of what we're doing today. Today we're talking about radio. Greenhorns Radio is happy to invite Tim, seaweed harvester from Cornwall, to talk with us. Hi, Tim. Hi, Severin. How are you doing over there? Yeah, really well, although um, I have to say it's really, really very misty, and it's the mist of summer. So, um, yeah, we could have done with a bit more sunshine today, but other than that, really well, thanks. So the mist is an important consideration to you because the mist is making it harder to dry seaweed. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, The way we dry our seaweed is completely natural. We don't use any electricity. Um, We use big polytunnels that that dries the seaweed. So basically, we've got wind energy and solar energy dries the seaweed for us. But on a day like this, yeah, nothing really dries, unfortunately. And what's your um, what's your prospects for the weather coming forward? Um, luckily, there's a little bit of sunshine, and um, we unfortunately are having to build a, um, a little little house that we can um, little room that where we can dry the seaweed in using electricity. But again, this will be um, solar powered electricity, so um, we should be fine no matter what the weather in the future. Let's start from the beginning. How did you how did you get there? The seaweed company. How did I start a seaweed company? I started a seaweed company about three years ago, and I'm doing it with my business partner, Caroline Warwick Evans. Um, I moved. I'm originally from Holland and moved to the UK six years ago. 
um, to study. I did my master's here in conservation and biodiversity uh, and really liked the place, really liked Cornwall and decided to, uh, to stay down here. I set up a charity um, after my master's to try and conserve the rainforest in Borneo. Um, it wasn't really making a lot of money. I was working as a waiter and as a translator to um, just get by, really. Then Caro came back after a stint in, um, in the Philippines and in Peru, and she wanted to come down back to Cornwall and work in renewable energy. Unfortunately, the feeding, feeding tariff for, um, um, for renewable energy fell through. So a lot of the companies down here, the small companies that went bust. So she came back to Cornwall without any means really of survival and was living in a van and heard a Radio 4, BBC Radio 4 program about the health benefits of seaweed. And really that, that started us thinking really about, about what we could do with seaweed. And, um, no one else in the UK or in England actually was doing seaweed or was selling it. So we thought, wait a second, we love the ocean, we love the coast, we love doing anything sustainable with it. Why don't we start a seaweed business? And that's how we started the seaweed business three years ago. Wow. So so I happened to be working as a seaweed harvester this summer and did a little bit last summer. I know what it's like to go out, but... Many people are very intrigued about growing seaweed and how it grows, the wild and the cultivated kinds of seaweed. Um, could you just give a bit of a day in the life? How do you harvest? What do you harvest? What are the conditions yeah, you look for? Um, absolutely, absolutely. So the way that we harvest is um, we harvest around spring tides. And spring tides um, occur twice a month uh, when the, sun, the pool of the sun and the moon is at its strongest which means that the tides are either very high and very low. And we, of course, go out when the tides are really, really low. That means that the seaweeds are basically out of the water and we can walk towards them. Then we've got a window of about two, three hours, depending on, on the actual tide, uh, where we cut the seaweed with scissors. Um, just when, it's going, when the tide's going out, we cut the seaweed with scissors uh, and leave a, a good part of the plant um, attached so they can grow back. So basically, we don't really take all the seaweeds, we give them a little haircut and um, allow them to, um, them to grow back for, uh, and for us to harvest later on. Once we got quite a lot of seaweed, um, in general per person is about 26 to 36 kilos, we put it in big rucksacks and having to carry it back up the cliff, which is actually 100 meters high, so it's quite steep, but, um, you know, good, good work, uh, good workout. What we do then is we wash the seaweed quickly in fresh water before we put it out to dry. Once it's dry, which, depending on the sunshine, really can take between a few hours and um, a few days, maybe up to a week. After it's dry, what we do is most simple thing. We put it in small bags and sell it just as it is. Um, or what we do is we flake it. We flake it into small flakes and powders. Um, and then people use it as, um, as ingredients. As um, uh, For instance, that we've got someone that makes little crackers with it, someone that makes seaweed sausages with it, um, people use it as condiments, um, make it in little cakes. So there's loads of different things that people do with it after that. But that's basically um, the day of a, well, an average day of a seaweed harvester, really. Tell me, tell me, how can you tell, what is the health of your ecology there? Ah, the health of the ecology. Um, the, the whole sea, well, basically... Um, seaweeds, grow, seaweeds grow back very fast, and um, they're pretty much the, the, the fastest growing species on the planet. Um, what we've got here is, is a huge array of species. We've got one of the most biodiverse 
um, the uh, ecosystems in terms of seaweed in the UK, together with Scotland, is a very pure and, and um, undisturbed ecosystem. And um, the scale that we are harvesting at is, is very small. We've got about 1,500 species of seaweed in the UK only, and I think about 700 in Cornwall. Uh, it's a huge variety, and we only harvest about eight of the most abundant seaweed. Um, some of you might know, but seaweeds are um, are, are distributed um, differently in the uh, in the ecosystem. And you got on, high, on the highs on the shores, you've got the racks, the bladder racks, serrated rack, um, followed by some of the green species, which sea lettuce and gutweed. And lower down, you get um, kelps, uh, different types of kelp, and then going down all very very deep. To some of the red species, um, but uh, like dolls and um, some of the more obscure ones. Can you talk about some of the traditional uses of seaweed in the area there and around the world, and how people relate to yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, seaweed here in the UK or in England is is had very little attention, received very little attention. Uh, mainly around here, what it's been used for is as potash. So the farmers gather washed-up seaweed and then burn it to get the minerals out of it, and then they would put it on their land. So they use it as a fertilizer. Um, that's the main use of it in England, and, and pretty much the only use. As opposed to Scotland and Ireland, where you see there's a much more traditional way of, of using it as a food. Um, the Scottish, for instance, they use it. Uh, they boil carrageen or Irish moss. Um, and they make a tea out of it, which helps against the cold, and they've been drinking it for centuries. The Irish use dulls as a chewing tobacco, but, um, um, they use kelp uh, in, in poultices, um, and I think it was in the First World War that soldiers were given uh, packs of kelp uh, that, to help disinfect their wounds if they were in the field. Um, that's just the UK and, um, and Scotland and Ireland. Uh, what we see, of course, in in Japan and the Far East, the seaweed's got massive, massive um, significance in terms of food. It's the main; it's one of the main things they eat there in terms of vegetables. Um, and really, the West will have to step their step up their game, really, not just um, because of the health benefits that seaweed gives, but also there's more people coming on this earth, and uh, we need to feed them all. We're running out of land. And there's still vast amounts of oceans out there that we can cultivate seaweed without having an impact on the natural environment. Um, so seaweed will have to grow, um, and we have to learn how to eat it in, in this uh, part of the world as well. So that's quite a, that's quite an opinion. Let's talk about the role that, 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 the, eco, that the seaweed plays in the ecosystem and maybe justify a little bit this opinion that the growing of seaweed can be ecologically benign. Maybe a little bit more describing what the conditions or, or principles are that would be behind an ecological aquaculture. Well, um, first of all, seaweed takes up um, CO2, so it's, it helps against climate change. Um, not only CO2, it will also take, also take up nitrogen, phosphorus, which are um, two of the main problems, really, two of the ten big problems in, in of environmental problems in the world. Farmers spread uh, manure and other fertilizers on their land, and that leaches out by rain. That then ends up in the water, in the, uh, in the oceans, 
which can cause very nasty algal blooms, um, which are toxic for for mankind, will um, leave large stretches of the ocean uh, devoid of life, really, apart from from the al- from the algae. So, what these seaweeds can do, especially farming it, they can take up all these nutrients. If you put them downstream of a fish farm, for instance, they'll take up a load of the the excrements and of the of the uh, of the bad things that that come out of the of the fish, um, and and it thrives a bit. So that is one thing. It will take up all the all the all the things that are bad for the oceans. Of course, not not in terms of of health, really, but more for the environment. Um, but also. Um, it, it it provides a nursery for um, nursery grounds for fish, um, spawning ground. It, it can harbor a lot of different other, different species that you'd otherwise not find there. So it's also good for uh, for main fisheries, really. And so, what's the future for other uh, people like you harvesting seaweed, cultivating seaweed? Tell us about the the value that the economy of your operation and what kind of opportunity there might be for other maritime professions to be engaged in this work and in stewardship of this marine resource. I think it's got a huge potential. Um, and at the moment, we are the only ones still doing it in England, and we're a small team. We started the two of us, but we're growing fast. There's 10 of us now um, in our company doing it, and there's another company around um, that's making seaweed bath bags, um, and if we do want to do, if we, if we want to continue using the ocean uh, in a sustainable way, well, if we just want to continue it, using it full stop, we'll have to start using seaweed, not just for food, for biofuel, for bioplastics, and even antibiotics. Um, it's a huge resource that has remained largely untapped, and um, it can really transform the lives of coastal communities, uh, which now rely on or fisheries, uh, fish stocks which are dwindling, if they can make that transition to sustainable seaweed farming, then I think we've got definitely a, a winning product here. And who and who's driving that project of uh, learning what the principles are for sustainable seaweed, uh, studying the, the cultivation practices, uh, describing best practices? Where's the... Um, Where's the energy, and how how would the young agrarians who might be interested in a summer summer job or a winter job or a part time job in this field learn more? Um, it, around here, there's very little known about um, seaweed regrowth, regeneration, um, sustainable stocks, sustainable yield of natural stocks, um, and it, but a huge amount of, re- of research is now um, undergoing in the universities um, in the UK, but if you want to learn a lot more, like on the academic side, there's, in, there's, there's research going on in Scotland, in Malaysia, Japan, China, um, even Indonesia, where it's much bigger. Um, so if you want to learn um, something, then, then, then go there. What we're doing here is we've started a three-year research plan with Natural England, which is a advisory board of uh, the, for the environment of the, of the government, uh, together with the Crown Estate, who we license our um, our seaweed seaweed patch from, um, and together, kind of, we are riding the wave of um, creating a sustainable uh, harvesting regime, which can then be uh, put a, 
or replicated by other seaweed companies. So, so we're really on the forefront. It's still very small, but um, we're on the forefront. And hopefully, um, once we've established a sustainable regime, other people can uh, can use this too. What do people say when they first eat the seaweed? Like, do you think that the seaweed is a gateway drug into caring and thinking more about the marine ecology? Do you see it as a, a transformative opportunity? Well, I think we've got a long way to go to, for people to understand that. Um, t- three years ago, when we just started started the seaweed business, people walked past us and, 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 um, on, on food festivals where we were trying to sell the seaweed, and they said, why in, on earth do you want to sell seaweed? It's, it's disgusting. It washes up on the beach. It's rot. It stinks. Um, and now we slowly see people moving towards, oh, actually, see, it's quite sustainable. But, and, and it's quite good for you. It, it is tasty. So that is only just starting to come up after three years. And to get people to understand um, the ecology of the oceans, um, I think we're going to struggle doing that anytime soon. People don't even know, most people don't even know where, um, how it works on, on terrestrial ecosystems. Some people don't even know that milk comes from cows and that apples grow on trees. So I'd like to I'd like to get there, but to be honest, I think it will be um it'll be a long shot. So what's next for you guys in Corn at the Cornish Seaweed Company? Where are you pointing your Where are you pointing your boat? We are pointing our boat towards a um, still to be developed cultivation site. Hopefully, we want to um, we want to keep going and harvest sustainably harvest natural stocks. But we also see that because we're growing so fast, we don't want to have an impact on the environment. And what we want to do is establish the first seaweed farm in England um, for food purposes. And I think in maybe three years' time, we can we can be there and have something running. Do you want to talk about the Tres Ombres and the meeting of land and sea in the traders? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so we've got a um, um, a few friends of us, and um, this is this this nice, um, very fastly growing movement of of transport under sail going on here in Europe and. Um, there's this um, this corporation in uh, it's called the Tres Hombres, and they sail cargo under sail, not using engines, across the oceans, across the Atlantic, across the North Sea, um, and transport this uh, throughout the countries uh, and, and sell sell chocolate, rum, and even our seaweed now as well. And and it's fantastic. They um, they can really reconnect. People um, with uh, with with the origin of their products, they can they can enthuse people again because they, the ships they use are phenomenal. They got schooners, they getting um, a frigate, I think as well. They've got um, old trawlers from eighteen hundred, and um, they can excite people into buying sustainable, buying um, local, buying um, fairly transported um, products. And it's exciting. People, people are getting excited about it, and, and that's very important because that way we can show what the real value of products and, and real, what real craftsmanship is. And hopefully, um, and from the looks of it, this movement is set to grow 
fairly rapidly around here. Are you in a conversation with seaweed harvesters anywhere else in the world? Um, apart from you, I met in uh, in Cornwall um, crazily. Um, very few. We are we're in contact with seaweed harvesters in Ireland and Scotland, and we've got the Seaweed Health Foundation, which has just been set up here. Um, we are on an email list with um, people that are interested in seaweed and algae in general, but. Um, no, not that much, actually. I think um, we are so busy down here that uh, we find it difficult to do anything um, per, per, um, on the periphery. But um, that doesn't mean that we'd like to get in touch with people and um, uh, people doing the same thing. So um, if you know anyone, then, yeah, let them get in touch. Well, Tim, for joining us, and uh, the Greenhorns of London and the Greenhorns of Sea, joined as comments of our ecosystem and I think better we get the stewardship that's in, inherent in our work and helping people see the value of the whole chain, not just the end part, but the whole chain, uh, the closer we get to setting a fair price for the work and having food sovereignty. So it's nice to see you there in and I hope to see you again uh, the next time of the te- next time round of the Tres Ombre. Thanks, uh, Terry. It was really good to talk to you, and um, all the best of luck with Greenhorn. And I hope hope the movement uh, there grows very fast, and more people get to know about all the great stuff that you're doing. Um, let the ocean be a bridge, and not the divide between our two countries. Hopefully, uh, speak to you soon, and um, see you sooner. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Oh, like a ship, I'm told.